Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. All right, uh, we're going to look at Earth's future in a nutshell, is what I've called this one tonight. And uh, it'll be Daniel chapter 7, verse 1 through verse 15. If you've just joined us for the first time in person tonight, uh, if you want, there are outlines in the lobby that you can go get to take notes. You don't have to do that, but they are there for you. Now, just to give you an understanding of what's going to happen in this chapter, give you a little bit of a a pre-rundown in the chapter. Um, Remember in chapter uh, 2, Remember the statue of Nebuchadnezzar's dream? Guys, remember that one? And it's the head of gold. Remember, that's the Babylonian Empire. The chest of silver is the Medes and Persians or Medo-Persian Empire. And then the belly of, of bronze is the uh, Greek Empire. And then from there, you get the legs of iron, and that's the Roman Empire. And then you got the toes mixed with clay and iron. It's, uh, it's a, it's a ten-nation confederacy. doesn't adhere very well together because it's clay and iron, but it's a new Roman Empire. Well, you take that right there in ta- chapter 2, and Daniel's given us uh, uh, a picture of history. For him, it's the future. For us, we look back at it, and part of it we look in the future still hasn't happened. Now, in chapter 7, here comes Daniel again, now, you have to take chapter 7, and he's gonna, it's going to be Belshazzar again. So it's the Babylonian Empire. Catch these little details there, because what he's doing is he's giving you another piece, and he's putting it back in time, because Babylon has already been conquered by the Persians. We've already went through that at the end of chapter 5. Remember that? They go down the water. Now, he's going back again into a dream and a vision that Daniel has. And this is a repeated statement he's going to make. I looked in the night vision. I looked in the night vision. So he's going to go back with Belshazzar. But this time he has this vision. And this vision parallels the, um, the statue dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the big difference is this. In the dream of the statue, the way the, um, the empires are described, they are described as metals. You know, gold, silver, bronze, iron. And these metals, therefore, it gives you, it's a matter of value, it's a matter of strength. In this dream, where he's going to go through the same empires again, but now it's different. Because the vision God is giving old Daniel is not, doesn't describe the empires as metals, it describes them as animals. And animals with certain characteristics of power and speed and viciousness and everything else that goes with it. And so we're going to, you're, going to, you're going to see an addition to what was in the previous chapter. Now, here's what I really like about this, and that is that um, Daniel is about, I don't know, he's probably seven, in his 70s right now. In previous, when Persia took over, he's probably near 80, so he's, he's in those time frames. But he's giving you and I Um, a vision of the future according to him looking back in his time. You and I can look at it and we know, and he was right on the money with with his predictions and what God gave him, that there was the Babylonians, then come the Persians, then come the Greeks, then come the Roman Empire. So he's right on the money with that. And so we know these that God is really speaking to this guy and really illuminating him. But we also can look at it as he's going to take us in this dream, this vision, 
And we're going to see how everything plays out on planet Earth. In fact, in the book of Daniel, you're going to see how this world plays out and how God's going to finish everything. So with that said, we know, anybody here ever, um, do you ever watch a game or move your game and you record it so as not to watch commercials? Anybody do that? Okay. How many do that with sporting, with games? I, I do with games. Now, I'm, I, I'm a, here's why I like that. Number one, I can skip all commercials because I'm getting tired of commercials. Anybody with me on that? I'm getting tired of the propaganda commercials and all the immorality they want to push on me through commercials. So I'm so glad. And if I had kids at home, I wouldn't even want them to watch those commercials. It is getting so bad now. But that's one reason. The other reason why is when I record a game, I can look on my phone and find out who won. Anyone do that? How many of you don't like to find out? Why? I want to know because once I know the end of the game, and especially if my team won, guess what? And no matter how tight the scores of the game, guess who's relaxed? I am. In no stress, no pressure, just, it's just great. I can enjoy the game because I already know the end, even though it's in the first quarter right now, right? I mean, I recorded the, the NBA game on Sunday night. My, one of my sons asked me, they're over, they asked me, you want to know the end of the score of the game? Because either don't matter to me, they're not my teams. I said, yeah, don't matter to me. But they didn't tell me the score, so I didn't really find out. But it didn't matter to me. But yeah, I like to know the score so I can just relax, especially if it's my team, like UCLA basketball or something like that. Uh, and so the same thing's happening here. If you know how it all ends and you know that your team wins, aren't you going to be a lot more calm? Exactly, right? Well, you and I, according to Daniel and these prophecies, we know how it all ends, huh? We know that we win, huh? At least our guy, he scores the winning bucket, Jesus Christ, right? Now, he's taken us through this whole uh, series of empires, throughout history, and he's also going to show us that Jesus Christ is a conqueror. Now, tonight, we're going to get our first glimpse, uh, more than we have before, but not much, our first glimpse of the Antichrist tonight. And then the next two weeks, we're going to get a bigger dose of the Antichrist because he's going to start laying out some things in Daniel because Daniel and Revelation they really go very well hand in hand. Have you ever noticed that one right there? They go well together. So here we go. Um, and one of the things, like I said before, you're going to see a repeated statement. It's almost like he's pausing to regroup, continuing to look. He pauses to regroup. He continues to look. And one of the things he does is, and I look, he says, in, I looked in the night visions. Every so often he says, and I looked in the night visions. So it's almost like he's pausing at those moments. And then he continues in the vision, in the dream. And you'll see that repeatedly as we progress. So Daniel chapter 7 and verse 1 says this. In the first year of Belshazzar, remember I told you that we're going back into the Babylonian Empire? Belshazzar, remember, was the king at the time when Babylon fell. King of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Now, what does Daniel do that's very wise if you want to remember something? He writes it down. That's exactly right. Now, I I was, before I became a Christian, I was not the, 
It's not that I wasn't smart. I just hated studying. Anybody with me on that? I just didn't like it whatsoever. School was like, oh, homework and stuff. And I, I just didn't like it. And so I never wrote anything down. I'm not going to do that. But then when I became a Christian, I started to write things down. I'd listen to preachers and I'd write down and I started to file certain ways. And then I would take things I learned and I would write it in my Bible. If you ever look at my Bible, I have certain markings and filing systems. That's why I like little wider margins to write things down that maybe God gives me or I hear somebody say and I write it down. So sometimes you think, Jim, you're so smart. No, it's all written down in my Bible, okay? So I'll just give you the truth right there. It's like, it's all, it's all right here. I, I heard this from, I, I think it was Pastor Rick Warren, who was the senior pastor of Saddleback. He's now stepped down. He, he's a little bit sick. And um, he said, and I'm sure he read the study, that you will forget 95% of what you have heard or learned in a message like right now within 72 hours after you hear it if you don't write things down. Which is why I know, those of you online don't know this, which is why I know when I ask you the questions before we start recording, why very few of you raise your hand about Sunday morning or look at me with like a deer in the headlight look. Because <laughs> you can't remember it because you didn't write it down, okay? And so, thank God, let's start writing things down now and you can remember it and get a better grasp of it. Uh, so, uh, verse 2. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night. And behold, the four winds of heaven, remember four winds of heaven, were stirring up the great sea. Now, bullet point in your notes for you. The beginning of the vision is similar to the creation account. Think about that. The, the beginning of this vision is very similar to the creation account. He says here, there's four winds of heaven, and what are they stirring up? The great sea. We know in the beginning of Genesis, right? And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So you see this whole same kind of idea going down right here. And the Hebrew word for spirit is breath or wind. And so this, it's almost like the Spirit is moving the same way it was before. Now, bullet point number two. Let me give you something. We'll drill down deeper on this. And that is four winds point to the sovereignty of God. Four winds point to the sovereignty of God. And I need to do a, just a little bit of cross-reference to prove my point on that. In your Bibles, or however, if you have your phone or whatever, is, go to your left in your Bibles, a little bit left to Ezekiel. And let's look at this idea of four winds. Look at Ezekiel 37. Does anybody here know off the top of your head what Ezekiel 37 is all about? It's about the dry bones. It's about the dry bones. How many of you know what the dry bones are? It's that old song, do, 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 do. No, it's not that song, okay. Now, the dry bones. Now, in, in Ezekiel 37, verse 9, and by the way, this is a fantastic prophecy if you ever go study it in Ezekiel 37 of the dry bones. We'll give you a little bit of it tonight. In verse 9, look at chapter 37. He says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, Come from the... Louder, come from the? The four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may come to what? Life. Life. Now, how do I get sovereignty of God, four winds, stuff like that, out of that cross-reference to these verses right here? Because in Ezekiel 39, this is one of the greatest prophecies that you and I uh, 
Well, I wasn't alive at the time. I was still not born yet. But maybe a few of you might have been born at this time. Um, but the four winds being blown are blown onto the dry bones. Early in the chapter says, can these dry bones live? And this prophecy right here of these four winds being blown on the dry bones, the dry bones represent who? Israel, the nation of Israel. And so when Israel was overthrown and conquered 70 AD, they were not a nation for a long, long time. And only in the last century, and the prophecy's always been here, 2,500 years ago or so, this prophecy was given to Ezekiel. That one day, the four winds would be blown on the dry bones. And the dry bones are the nation of Israel that was overthrown, and they scattered to all over the world. And you think, will they ever come back? Will they ever be, come back as a nation? And of course, according to the prophecy, they will come back as a nation. And that happened in 1948, May 14th, 1948. They become a nation. They become a state again. Now think 1948. What happened just so many years before that to Israel? They were persecuted under Third Reich, Hitler, right? They try to wipe them out. And so you see here God's prophecy is moving through time, 2,500 years. And right before the prophecy is going to be fulfilled in 1948, here comes Hitler on the scene, motivated by Satan, and he wants to destroy Israel as a nation, tries to wipe them out, and he does not accomplish it, does he? And here comes God and fulfills the prophecy. And in 1948, Israel becomes a nation and because the four winds blow and the dry bones come back to life and we have Israel as a very powerful nation today. So what does that teach us? It teaches us the sovereignty of God. God is all powerful. God says it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to come to pass. And so the four winds are a great picture of that. Now let's go back to Daniel chapter 7. Now the four winds, look at verse 2 again. What are they stirring up? They're stirring up a great what? A great sea, a great body of water. It could be the Mediterranean. I don't think so, but it could be. I think it relates more to Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. Sea is a, means people. It means a sea of people. And the Antichrist will rise out of a sea of people. And these nations that we're going to look at in these animal characteristics, they are people. It's going to rise up that way. So I think it, it bends more towards that right there. Now, the four beasts in this chapter 7 are going to rise out of a sea of people. Chapter 7, now look at this, verse 3 and verse 4. So let's start to look at these different type of beasts that correlate to Daniel chapter 2 and the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 3, the four great beasts were coming up from the what? See, it's a sea of people. Here we go. Different from one another. Here comes the first one. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind, interesting, also was given to it. Now, in your notes, beast number one, we know which empire that is. What is it by now? Babylon, that's right. You guys should, by now should be able to tell me it's Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, then Rome. Boom, 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 boom. That's the way they went through history. So it's Babylon. Notice, what kind of animal represents it? 
It's a lion. But what's a lion? We call him the king of the jungle, right? Most fierce beast. But what's unique about this particular lion in its description? What does it have also? It's got wings, so there's some kind of swift movement to this very powerful lion in this portrayal right here. Now, we know it's Babylon, and we know it was a very, uh, and we know it was a, it was a powerful empire. But we also know that it went down October 12, 539 B.C. Remember chapter 5 at the very end? Remember the writing on the wall? How many remember that? That's when Babylon goes down, the writing on the wall. Okay, so now you're understanding history as Daniel's pushing us forward in that. Now, it says it's, it's represented by a lion with wings. Here's a fascinating little side point. If you ever get there, I've never been there. If I go there, I'm going to go see it. In the British Museum, when they discovered what's called the Ishtar Gate in Babylon through archaeology, where they discovered it, they took that, the archaeologists took the whole gate and they put, took it, dismember, put it all together. It's in the British Museum. Have you ever been there, Richard? You, you, you're from Iowa via England, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, that's an inside joke, but anyway. But they have it there. And this Ishtar gate, it's magnificent. It's a, the, the, the stones, the bricks are blue, but on the Ishtar gate are these golden lions with, guess what? With wings, that's right, from Babylon. And so here's Daniel prophetically making these statements, describing it as this lion with wings. Now, notice in verse uh, 4, at the end of it, what unique thing does this thing have? It's got a human mind, that's right. Interesting to me. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, that is in there, because remember Nebuchadnezzar, when God said to humble, you better humble yourself, it's going to be good. And he goes out there and says, look at Babylon, which I have built. And then what happens to him? He is made crazy. He goes insane. And we covered all that. And not seven years go by or thereabouts, and he finally repents, and he's given his right mind back. Remember that? And maybe that's a reference here to Nebuchadnezzar who gets his right mind back because this, has, this lion with wings has a human mind, guys. That's a very unique piece of that empire right there. So let's move on now. Look at verse 5. And behold, another beast. Here it comes, a second one. Stop right there. Which empire is this now? You should know by now. What is it? What? It's a Persian, Medo-Persian. That's right. Now, resembling a bear, uh, and it was raised up on one side, interesting, and three ribs were in its mouth, interesting, between its teeth. Thus they said to it, arise, devour much meat. Now, beast number two, in your notes, Medo-Persian Empire. It's the Medo-Persian Empire, it's the Medes and the Persians. Now, it's symbolized by a bear, okay? The Persians overthrow the Babylonians. They come through the water tunnel, October 12, 539 B.C. Just, just as when Daniel told him tonight, it's going to be taken from him, the writing on the wall, the whole shot. Now, the bear. Um, let's see, there's a few of you maybe. Um, I, I'm, a lot, most of you know, if you've been here a long any time at all, I, I've been a high Sierra backpacker um, for like 40 some years 
And I've run into, Steve, we run into bears before, right? How many were with me running into bears? Paul, did you run into bears when we were up there? No, we didn't run into bears. John, we run into many bears, you and I. That's right. In fact, Steve scared you out of your mind on that trail one day, different, it's different year. Remember that? But you won't admit it. Yeah, I know. You, you let out a warrior cry. I remember that one. Okay. But that was a great night when you scared him. He thought it was a bear. But we have fought off bears many, many times. Many times. And the first time you do it, it is, oh yeah, Richard, you've been with it. It's scary. The first time you, you, you shoo a bear away, you're scary because you have this real thick tent that defends you from bears. <laughs> and you're like eight miles in and there's, you can't run out. I mean, because the bear will tackle you. You know, oh, thanks for coming out, you know. But after that, you start to shoo them away. But, but it is scary the first time. But after that, you throw rocks, you make noise, because they come in to try to get your food. Only once have they taken my food of all the years. And now you don't see them anymore up in backpacking because you use bear canisters. And they're very smart. They're not going to come where they can't get food. And with bear canisters, they can't. Oh, yeah, Bruce, you've been there fighting off bears before. I didn't see you right there. But... Uh, it is, it is a lot of fun, I'll be honest with you, okay, when the bears come in there. But anyway, bears, very powerful, very powerful. Lions, more powerful. Bears are very powerful. Now, notice in verse uh, 5, what's in their mouth? What's in this bear's mouth? How many ribs? Three. And possibly, I'm sure it is, that this empire conquered Babylon, Egypt, and Lydia, these three groups of peoples. It conquered Babylon, Egypt, and Lydia. Now, what's interesting about the bear? It's raised up how? On one side, huh? Now, the bear represents the Medo-Persian Empire, correct? These are two groups of people come together, but it's raised up on one side, which points to the fact that the Persians became the more powerful of the two groups that came together. So it's raised up on one side because the Persians become the more dominant force of the Medo-Persian Empire. Make sense? Or yeah, hopefully it makes sense. Verse 6 now, here we go. After this, I kept looking. Now notice he says, he goes, I kept looking. You're going to find up here, I kept looking. And he say, he'll usually say, in the night visions. And behold, another one, here comes another animal, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads. Interesting. And dominion was given to it. This is really weird. Now, this beast is Greek. It's the Greek empire. In your notes, beast number three, Greek. It's a leopard. The Greeks overthrow the Medo-Persian empire. They overthrow the Persians. Now, the leopard has what? Four wings. So, it has four. If you have four wings in your leopard... This kind of beast, leopards move fast, but with wings they can move faster, right? Now, the Greek empire under Alexander the Great, they are known in history as a fast-moving army. He was a very brilliant leader, and they conquered, and I think within three years' time, they just conquered. I mean, they just took everything they could possibly take. And so you see how quickly the, by the description, this thing can move. Now, we know, and we'll talk more about Alexander in two weeks because he's a key figure in history in Daniel um, and what comes through these empires. But Alexander, what was his one big vice? Alcohol. 
Alcohol was his big vice. This guy was an alcoholic in history. And he dies at 33 years of age. There's different kind of things of how he died, but alcoholism contributed to it with, I think, malaria. He had that also, but he dies. And so uh, it says here in verse 6 that it has how many heads, this beast? Four heads. When, when Alexander dies, historically, he makes this statement on his deathbed. He says, give the empire to the strong. Does anyone know that when Alexander died, how they divided up the empire? They divided it up to his four generals. So here's Daniel prophesying, giving you the vision, and there's four heads in this Greek empire, and those are the four generals of Alexander that take the different, uh, the, the, the divvy it up. Now, in verse 7, he says, I kept looking in the night vision. So now he's paused on that one a bit. And then verse 7, he says, after this, I kept looking at night vision. He's pausing. He's going like this. He's laying on his bed, and he saw that, and now he keeps looking. In other words, he's not going to stop focusing on this vision. God's, he's looking. And then he says, and behold, a fourth beast. Now, let's read this very carefully. Watch this. Dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong and had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. Beast number four in your notes. Rome, but has no animal comparison. Did you catch that one? All the others are described by an animal, but this has no animal comparison whatsoever. But this is the Roman Empire. Now, the description, is it strong? Yes. Is it ferocious? Yes. Does it crush? Does it trample? Yes. What kind of teeth does it have? Iron teeth. This thing is a powerful thing. How many horns does it have? Ten horns. Now this gets really interesting. Keep your finger here. You might have to turn this page to your right. Look at verse 24 of Daniel chapter 7. Watch the cross-reference. Always remember, let the Bible interpret the Bible. Verse 24, As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise. Uh, stop right there. So the ten horns represent what? They represent 10 kings. Now, we know from chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the 10 toes. Remember that? The 10 toes are a mixture of iron and clay. We know this one, this beast here, is dreadful, has iron teeth, but it's 10 kings. So now you start piecing it together, and now you realize from the Roman Empire Somewhere in the future, there's going to be a 10-nation group of people that we would call, and what people call today, as the New Roman Empire. This empire is not yet come together and be 10, but it is in our future. It is coming, guys. This is the empire that's coming. It will be the world economic empire. It will be that. And this is what Daniel is sharing with us. He cannot possibly know or see or understand as he looks down the road. You and I now, looking at history, watching it, and knowing what's coming, we can see it. 
But this is what's coming. This is the Roman Empire. No animal description whatsoever. Now it gets interesting, even more so in Daniel. Look at verse 8. While I was contemplating the horns, stop. He's looking at the ten horns. It's weird, right? It's going to get weirder. Behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them. And three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. Is that weird or what? In your notes, the little horn is the Antichrist. That's another name in the Bible for the Antichrist. He's the little horn. Horn in Scripture is a picture of power and authority. He's a little horn, which means what? He starts very inconspicuous, right? Very inconspicuous. But if you notice there in verse 8, he rises up among the other horns, does he not? So he's going to rise up through the ten nations. He's going to rise up through this group of ten nations coming together through this new Roman Empire. Very inconspicuous. He's rising up through the ranks. And nobody's going to, once he rises up, he's going to pluck out three kings. Interesting. But what's really interesting about the horn, what does it possess? It has two little eyes, huh? And what does it do? It boasts. It utters great boasts. It's boasting about himself. And so this Antichrist will rise up and he's going to be... One of the things that you see again and again about the Antichrist in Revelation and here in Daniel is he just is arrogant and he just boasts constantly. Now, this little horn, he is what we know as in Revelation as the beast. He is the beast. He is this Antichrist. He is the coming world dictator. Now, That's going to be pretty awesome, probably. You think you'll be good looking? I bet you. You think I'll have a very charismatic personality? I bet you will. You think you'll be a little bit superhuman? Without a doubt, he's going to be that too. He's going to be this real awesome personality. Guys, do people flock to personalities? Oh, yeah. I read somewhere a couple years ago in our day and age now that the big idolatry today is image. It's all about image. And this guy's going to have image, man. This guy is going to sway the people. Now, I want you to think about this. When God creates everything in six days, and he goes day by day creating, have you ever noticed as God creates everything, he doesn't create man till which day? Six day. Why? Because these first so many days, what is he creating? He's creating the atmosphere and the environment for man to be able to be sustained and live in, correct? Now take that concept and you plug it into the Antichrist and our world today. Is our world being prepared for an Antichrist? Oh, you better believe it is. You better believe it. We are so ready for this guy to come in. Is it in are we in chaos? Is there unrest? Do they promise us all these solutions to problems and never deliver? Do they create fake crisis so they can stay in office for the next round and say, you still need me because we have this problem and they've done nothing to do it because they can't fix anything? Is that where we're at? You better believe that's where we're at. 
They cannot fix anything whatsoever. They just say, we're going to throw more money at it. That doesn't work. We're going to create more bureaucracy to fix that. They don't do it. We're just a big mess, and it's not just America. It's all over the world. Is the atmosphere ripe for a one-world leader to come and say, I got the answer? I can fix it. I can fix it. And he's going to come in. He's going to do that. He's going to rise to the ten-nation confederacy. And for three and a half years, because remember the tribulation, great tribulation, is seven years. For the first three and a half years, he's going to be a really good guy. This guy, people are going to love him. He's going to, God, you're doing such good things. But something's going to change and something's going to snap in his head. There's a certain moment in time something happens. Do you remember what that is? We mentioned it earlier in weeks, weeks ago. He's going to help Israel rebuild what? The temple. And they're going to be all excited about it. Boy, this guy's doing everything. He's helping out. But when it is finished and when the time comes for the sacrifices, what's Antichrist going to do? He's going to walk in there himself. And he's going to walk into the holiest of holies. And he's going to tell the Jews, now you proclaim that I am God. Now, in the next couple of weeks, I think in two weeks, we're going to make the big comparison between Antiochus Epiphanes IV and the Antichrist because they are, it's a dual fulfillment in the future from Daniel, but look in past and future for you and I. But boy, he's going to sit there and say, now you worship me as God. Why does that make perfect sense for the Antichrist to do that? Why did Lucifer get booted out of heaven? What did he want to be? God. So now he's got his son, the Antichrist, on earth, and he's going to try to get worship, Satan is, through the Antichrist, because that's what he's always wanted. He's always wanted those things. That's why our worship is so, can be, is so important, and you've got to watch out, because it's easy to worship all kinds of things except for God, and Satan always moves in those directions to get us to worship everything but God. Amen to that one? Now, look at verse 9. Let's drive this home. Oh, I still got a little ways, huh? I kept looking. Now, now, now watch this. Everything's going to shift. It's going to shift. I kept looking. Now, Daniel's keep, he's still looking. Now, watch the shift. Because now Antichrist is set up. Think sequence. Until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. In other words, it's innumerable. And myriads upon myriads were standing in front of the, before him. So you have these bunch of them that are attending to him, and then you have these other myriads and myriads, they're standing before him. The court sat, and the books were open. Pretty intense, huh? All history happens. Antichrist comes on the scene, and all of a sudden, it shifts here. What's happening? Let's break it down. There's thrones there. Not throne, but thrones. In Revelation chapter 4, you see that there's 24 thrones around the throne of God. Some commentators say that 24 thrones basically represent the 24 greatest Christians that have ever lived. I don't know, but it's an interesting possibility, whoever, whoever they mean. It says the Ancient of Days is sitting there. 
The Ancient of Days is none other but God the Father. It says in that that there's fire. The throne is surrounded by fire, wheels of fire, and this is the judgment. You always see when fire is equated with God, it's judgment, judgment to come. So you see God the Father sitting there, the throne's all around him, picture like Revelation 4, and fire, there's judgment coming now. It says that his clothing is white, his hair like wool, which is white also, which means God the Father is a symbol of his purity and a symbol of his wisdom, amen? So this is an amazing picture. Daniel's looking in the night visions. There's a lot of people that are standing before him. The ones attending to him, probably angels. The ones standing before him, they're standing in judgment. So it's both a cool thing and a scary thing. This is where they're going to be judged because it says the books are open. This is the great white throne judgment of Revelation where all the sinners, the people that never gave their life to Christ, the people that rejected Jesus Christ, the people that said, oh, maybe later on in my life they died and they never accepted Christ. They're standing right here and the judgment is beginning. This is where they're going to be cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And it all goes into eternity that way for the unbeliever. Now, read on verse 11. Watch this. Then I kept looking. Is he still looking in the vision? Man, I'd still be looking too. This is incredible. Because of the sound of the boat. Are you kidding me? Of the boastful words which the horn was speaking? I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the what? Burning fire. In your notes, bullet point, in the presence of the final judge, the Antichrist, meaning little horn, insists on being heard. Can you imagine? He's standing there before God the Father. The, the, this is the, and he's still, both, he's still trying to get a word in edgewise. Isn't that crazy? I, I always wonder, what was he saying? What's he going to tell him? Like, you know, uh, get out of the way? I, you know, I don't know. What, it's, it's just ridiculous. But he gets judged. And he gets judged, and he also, along with the false prophet, will be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone in Revelation chapter 19. So here's where the judgment all happens. This is where it's all finalized for them. Verse 12. As for the rest of the beasts, all the empires, that's what he's reflecting back on, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. In other words, they will be overthrown, but they will have, for a period of time in history, they will have power. That's what he's basically saying. Verse 13. And now, watch this. I kept looking in the night visions. There he goes again. And behold, with the clouds of heaven... One like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days. Ancient of days is the father, right? Right? Okay, good. And was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and the men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. You think? Okay, he keeps on looking in the night visions, and all of a sudden, 
he sees the Son of Man. He describes him as the Son of Man. The Son of Man comes up to the Ancient of Days. Ancient of Days is God the Father, right? God the Father gives the Son of Man a kingdom, a dominion, which will never be overthrown, right? So when you put all that together, and that kingdom is eternal, who is the Son of Man? Who we know is Jesus. That's the Son of Man right there in that area. Now, it's a divine being. We know him as Jesus. Now, this is where I want to stop tonight, and we'll pick it up next time. Like I said, we're going to cover the Antichrist a lot in the next couple weeks. But you're not going to come back here, but think Son of Man, okay? We know now that Jesus to come, one of his titles, this deity is a Son of Man. Turn to Mark chapter 14. And we're going to end with Mark. Jesus on trial before the Pharisees, Caiaphas. He's on trial for blasphemy. Question, see if you remember this. When they shift to Roman trials, what will he be on trial for? Rome doesn't care about blasphemy. What do they care about? Insurrection. So they must change the charge and make up other charges. So with the Jews, it's a blasphemy. He's declaring himself God. With the Romans, they change the charge to insurrection. He claims to be a king. And that's what they do to try to get Jesus. Now, look at verse 61. Jesus on trial before Caiaphas. But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? He point blank asked Jesus, Are you the Christ? Are you this anointed one to come? The Son of the Blessed One. That's a big question. And watch what Jesus says. And Jesus said, I am. Right there when he says, I am, do you think they fell over? Oh my God, yeah. Would you say, I am? I'm the tetragrammatron? Yeah. He says, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven, tearing his clothes, the high priest said, what? further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Why is the high priest so shook up? Why does he declare uh, uh, blasphemy? Why does he rip his clothes? People say Jesus never ever proclaimed himself to be God. What did Jesus proclaim himself to be in that? God. That's why the high priest gets upset. That's why he rips his robe. That's why he's condemned. Jesus condemned to death. Because when he says, you shall see the Son of Man, he says, he's telling the high priest, remember what Daniel said back in Daniel 7, 13 and 14? Son of Man, I'm that guy. I'm the one who has dominion. I'm the one who has power. I'm the one the Father gives the kingdom to. I'm that guy. And that's why the high priest just goes nuts, man. Because Jesus proclaimed himself to be God. Now, can I give you one little tidbit that I really enjoy? And then, I'll, and then we'll stop. Look at verse 65. It's not anything to do with what we talked about, but since I'm there. Some began to spit at him and to blindfold him and to beat him with their fists and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. Okay. Last thought, nothing to do with this. I just like it. I just like that. You have to suffer through it with me, okay? Remember in other Gospels, they put something over his head 
And they're slapping, they're whacking him. And they're saying, prophesy, son of man, who hit you? That's the whole thing right there. Prophesy. In other words, tell us beforehand or even who hit you. Prophesy, come on. Does Jesus prophesy? Okay. What's ironic and what's amazing is he won't prophesy, but they're screaming for him to prophesy. Who hit you? Out there by a little fire, what is happening? What is taking place? Peter is denying Jesus. And in denying Jesus, Peter is fulfilling a prophecy of Jesus Christ that you will deny me tonight. They're screaming, prophesying, you're not going to do it. But while they're screaming it, a prophecy of Jesus is fulfilled out there by the fire. Is that wild? I love stuff like that. (laughs) Let's pray. Let's close for a minute. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, but thank you, God, that we get to look through Daniel's prophecies that you gave him in these visions, and we get to see what's coming. And Lord, as we progress now into the Antichrist and these end times in these next so many chapters, it just really gets really interesting. But we know what's coming, and we know who wins, and we know the Son of Man conquers all. So no matter what it looks like, no matter how bad things get, we know We know how it all finishes. Our team wins. Even when it looks like we're losing, our team wins. So we can be secure. No matter what we see on the news, no matter what we read on social media, no matter what anybody says, we win. Thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at nbcc.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.